Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then mm-hmm. a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's and what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give my regards to Broadway. A lullaby of Broadway. There's a kid in the middle of nowhere who's sitting there living for Tony performances, singing and flipping along with the Pippins and Wickets and Kinkies, Matildas and Mormonses. So we might reassure that kid and do something to spur that kid. Because I promise you, all of us up here tonight, we were that kid and now we're back. Hello, my beautiful Broadway friends. It's your Broadway buddy, Ben Cameron, and you are listening to Playbill Presents The Broadway Cast. The Broadway Cast is a weekly talk show that features unique conversations with Broadway's brightest additional the Broadway cast gives a voice to fans all over the world like they've never had before. If you love the Broadway cast as much as we love you, make sure you show us some of that love by going to iTunes and writing us a review. Go ahead, give us five stars. We are going under the sea to a pineapple, no less, as we welcome the cast of SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical. It's happening, and it's happening now. I'm going to start here with the gentleman who plays the title character, SpongeBob SquarePants himself, Ethan Slater. Hi, Ethan. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having us. Talk to us about the process of creating an actual flushed-out character based on this cartoon character. I think that's actually been the most exciting challenge of the whole process is um, taking something that you see on TV that's two-dimensional, that's a cartoon, that's a sponge, and making it grounded and um, have a human core. You know, we're making something that's three-dimensional, and uh, a, it's a Broadway musical. It's not a short television show. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's been something that's been really fun to work with Tina on, actually. Uh, I am lucky enough to have been working on the show for five years, so I've had five years of, um, of amazing direction by Tina Landau uh, <laughs> to, to help me uh, but seriously like to help me find Tina thoughts on this <laughs> I, I would agree with Ethan on, on this matter it's been a good five years oh it's, it's been a great five years you know Ethan walked in the room and was the embodiment of how he tried to cast the show which is not with people who necessarily sounded like or looked like but had the right DNA and Ethan mm. definitely has some SpongeBob DNA in him. Now, ha- had you ever heard that before as an actor, that 
did people ever reference you as a SpongeBob person or? I'd heard that I was square, but I never really heard. <laughs> well, hey, I hear it's hip to be square, actually, so that works. Absolutely. But, yeah. Uh, n- never uh, explicitly SpongeBob. That sort of came as a shock, but the most sort of delightful shock. That's like the greatest compliment to hear that I share some SpongeBob, some SpongeBob DNA because he's just so optimistic and sees the world in a beautiful way. And um, it's, it's sort of like become a part of me to see the world in that way more and more, which is a really beautiful thing. I love this idea of optimism that SpongeBob represents fully. And, and how is that important today in our world? I'm going to go deep there for a moment. Yeah, that is a deep question. I mean, it's it's really hard to be optimistic sometimes mm-hmm. um, if you're checking Twitter or anything. Um, <laughs> but, th- you know, there is something that's really important in looking at your community and taking in the, the really positive things, the love, the, the friendships, the neighbors. Um, and that's something that the story is about, the, the story of SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical, is, is a story about community trying to come together um, in spite of fear and differences and, uh, you know, the impending apocalypse. Uh, so <laughs> Fair. Yeah, it feels surprisingly prescient right now. Um, yeah. Were you a big SpongeBob fan before this? Well, it, yeah, I mean, I've totally grown up with SpongeBob. It came out when I was, like, seven. Um, and so, I, you know, I, my earliest memories with friends are going over to their houses to watch SpongeBob on TV because we didn't have cable, so I would watch Nickelodeon at my friends' houses, and, you know, it was, it was just the thing we did. So it's definitely been a huge part of my sense of humor mm. um, growing up. And I've, you know, watched SpongeBob from the year seven to college and beyond. What's fun about SpongeBob, too, is, is SpongeBob is not just for kids, though. I mean, if you watch the cartoon even, and, I, and I'm assuming even into the musical, it's so... There are so many things for adults to grab on, and there are so many themes that are touched on. Yeah. I, well, it sort of goes back to the sort of silent film era, physical comedy, you know, Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin, Abbott Costello. These are actually the things that that, um, that I watched a lot of. I know Danny and I watched a lot of this in preparing to play SpongeBob and Patrick because that's sort of where the humor comes from, it feels like. Um, but I will say, you know, I, I found out, about the audition, sitting in a dorm room, looking at a, a poster of all the faces that SpongeBob makes, and holding a SpongeBob plush doll, sitting on a beanbag chair, and like I pop my email pops up, and it's got a little picture of SpongeBob, and I'm auditioning for the Untitled Tina Landau project. So it was like, you know, it definitely <laughs> resonates with more than kids. It's a show that that people in their 20s and their 30s and beyond really love. Um, on its own, not just because they've grown up with it. You know, people started watching it when they were in their 30s and 40s, uh, and they buy SpongeBob ties. And you yeah. know, it's like it's like a really it, it reaches a broad audience, and I think that goes back to sort of the heart of it um, yeah. that we're trying to mine. Tina. Okay. Well, I just want to add to that that when Ethan was saying that about that, you know, the audience it reaches, we discovered in um, inviting the composers of the show, the songwriters, to write for the show, which is an amazing amalgam of different people, that most of them were SpongeBob fans. And, uh-huh. you know, we thought, oh, we're going to have to try to convince them. But, but there re- really was a great um, knowledge of and appreciation for the show by all those people from. You know, Cindy Lauper to David Bowie to John Legend to SpongeBob, yes. 
I've listened to the, the cast album, and it's so cohesive. How, how did you manage to make that happen? Did you give input to, to the composers? or No, actually just the opposite. I really yeah. encouraged them to write in their own voice. Okay. But the show itself um, kind of can stand and has space for variety and a mashup of different styles and genres. That's what's on the TV show. That's the world of Bikini Bottom. So we encourage, the, encourage them to write in their own singular idiosyncratic voices. But then we have the great fortune of working with Tom Kitt, who's our music supervisor. And Tom has found a way to... Reti- yeah, he is pretty, pretty good, that guy. <laughs> that, that Tom Kitt's pretty good. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, his task was to retain their individuality and make the score cohesive, which he has done masterfully. And talk to me about creating the visual world from something that is that has been animated, and how do you make that a real onstage place, Bikini Bottom? Well, you know, again, we didn't try to replicate what's on the TV show. Mm-hmm. We tried to get to the spirit of what it felt like and how oddly disjunct and quirky and playful and colorful it is. So um, the main thing we kind of grabbed was this idea that everything in this world is made out of found objects. So on the show, if you really start thinking about it, you know, there's a pineapple, which is a house, and (laughs) there's a lobster trap, which is the Krusty Krab restaurant, and everything are things that have fallen to the bottom of the sea. And we took that lead, and we said, let's make everything out of something else where possible and create a world that feels as foreign and magical to us as going underwater into a town like Bikini Bottom would be. Are there skateboards and things and people flying around? Is there? Well, there's definitely skateboards. There's definitely people flying, and there's a ton of surprises that you just have to come see the show to find out. Yeah. Um, but Tina has really created, um, along with David Zinn, who's our amazing set and costume designer, Peter Negrini, projection designer, um, they've really created, and, and Kevin Adams, our amazing lighting designer, they've really created this incredibly visually dynamic, mind blowing world. And I can tell you, when we did the show in Chicago, my favorite part of the whole show, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, was before <laughs> the show started, seeing audiences come in and see the set the first time. It was so rad to see their faces. It was really my favorite part of the show. It's just even before anything happens, the design is so striking and awesome. Let's look at uh, Miss Lily Cooper, who plays Sandy. So we did the show in Chicago, yes? Yes. How does it feel to bring it to Broadway? It's real. It's happening. it's real. It's super exciting. I mean, we're at the Renaissance Hotel right now, and we just had a sound check where we looked out the window and we saw our marquee on Broadway, and it's so surreal. I mean, everybody who walks through Times Square is going to see that. Isn't that a moment, though, when you get to go, that's us right there? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I mean, I grew up in in New York and in basically right around Times Square, so uh, it's very surreal to be just a few blocks away from, from, from my home, and it's sort of like my new home, the Palace Theater. The Palace Theater, where Liza played. You know the one, Liza and Judy. Um, I'm so intrigued by the very inventive costuming of this. You went the route of not putting them in full-blown character costumes. Talk to me about that a little bit. Well, like Tina said, I think that the goal wasn't to literally replicate visually what the show is, but to to, to explore the DNA. And what I love about, about my costume I, is that the 
what is so striking to me is that she has the same silhouette of Sandy mm-hmm. um, on the show, but she's not in an astronaut helmet. She actually has an afro, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And um, uh, so, yeah, and I'm sort of like in like an astronaut-esque costume. But, I mean, I'm sure, I think you guys tried the whole glass globe thing, which is just sort of impossible to, you know, project sound and have a microphone inside of a, a glass globe. Yeah. So um, they found this sort of new inventive way of visualizing that on stage. Out of town, what were the responses from the fans? People loved it. I mean, we had we had people uh, making fan artwork for us and bringing it to the stage door, which was very surreal. I mean, seeing people pour their heart out um, in artistic ways and mm-hmm. s- seeing that we could sort of encourage that and bring this joyous artistic inspiration to people. Um, you know, it was eight, it was, I mean, there were literally toddlers in the show in the audience all the way up to, you know, grandparents. So it was really cool to see the wide variety of people in the audience. Ethan? Oh, yes. Ethan Slater. Um, <laughs> people. Back with Ethan. People came back. You know, that was like a really cool thing was we met people at the stage door the first week, um, college students who were on their summer break or people from around Chicago who we saw two weeks later or three weeks later because they wanted to see it again. They wanted to experience it again. Um, And that wasn't an uncommon occurrence. It was like it was it was a pretty spectacular feeling to to be able to share the joy that we all feel doing this show with other people and see the way that it impacted them. I want to go back to the fan response and, and the stage dooring of it all. Uh, I'm going to put this to everybody, actually. What, what have, have been the most spectacular fan art gifts that you've received? Oof. Everybody just went, oof. Lily? Well, I got an actual painted canvas of, of um, Sandy, and it was so beautiful. And it was like my likeness on this piece of, of artwork. And it was just so unbelievable that somebody created this. And I have it hanging up in my apartment right now because I'm so proud of it and I think it's so gorgeous. So it's displayed amongst other artwork in my home as we speak. I love that. Tina? Well, I don't know if this counts, but... Um, it counts. Okay. <laughs> I got from Tom Higginson, who is... The, the main writer and singer of Plain White Tees who wrote a song for yeah. the show. So he gifted me a beautiful, extreme SpongeBob art piece. Does anyone remember the name of the artist? Shark Tooth. Shark Tooth. Shark Tooth? Lithograph that was given to me by Plain White Tees. And that's my favorite. And I consider them fans, so I consider it fan art. Yeah. <laughs> Ethan? Oh, that's really tough. There's some amazing fan art on Instagram that is worth checking out because it's it's like it's amazing. It's mind blowing. It's so beautiful. But the one thing that um, I got in Chicago that I really loved was it was my name in calligraphy, uh, but when you flip it up, it said Ethan Slater. But when you looked at it upside down, it said SpongeBob. Who is that genius? Amazing, and it is. It's on my fridge. It's like the, it's the coolest thing. <laughs> Depending on all good day, art uh, ends up on the fridge. Yeah, well, That's it. Just depends on how how excited I am when I wake up in the morning. Whether I'm you know just Ethan, <laughs> or whether I'm full on SpongeBob. SpongeBob. <laughs> I'm SpongeBob today. Well, you're SpongeBob every day these days. 
Danny uh, plays Patrick. Yes, indeed. Hi, Danny Skinner here. Yeah. Hi, Danny Skinner. I'm trying to get my NPR voice on. Um, is this, is this? Yes. Should we be very? <laughs> it should be very relaxed and just talk about the art. No, I got no. My favorite piece of uh, fan art, I think, is a canvas. Also, and 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 mine actually has me, my likeness, and then it's incomplete because Ethan actually has the other piece of it, oh. and so you put it together and it makes one. One piece, so yeah. I know yeah. Our, the fans are just like this show. Some what's the best part is like it's such a community, and people embrace that, and then something speaks to them, and then they share they share that right back, and that's just the best part of this whole thing. Danny, what have the challenges been creating a character and flushing out a real real starfish? Uh, day to day. No, you watch a lot of the television show, and then you try to find out how does that actually translate onto a, a large body, it really. I mean, you watch a lot of the slapstick, the kind of the kind of greats. I think Ethan kind of talked a lot about that. And you, and you kind of explore, and you, and you do a lot of that, um, that movement lab type of work, that kind of stuff that you get to walk around in front of a mirror and actually feel um, kind of what, where, does, where does the character actually, you know, where does the carry his weight and that type of thing. Yeah. So it's been it's been a it's been a blast, a real challenge, but a blast. Brian, Brian, we're going to you with, if you could be any sea creature under the sea, what would it be? <laughs> you play Mr. Krabs in the show. I do, I do. Uh, I've always been a big fan of seahorses. I don't know why. <laughs> I just think I think they're beautiful. I love the way they move. And uh, yeah, I just I always remember when I was a kid and uh, my family would take me to the aquarium. That was always like the area I would sort of get lost in, and I would uh, just sit and watch the seahorses go by. And how did you take um, parts of the animated series and and apply it to your your performance? Well, as a very fortunate newbie to the cast, um, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm a little bit older than some of my counterparts, so I didn't really grow up with the cartoon at all, but. Started watching it in preparation, fell in love with it, uh, and then fell in love with with everybody in the uh, in the audition room. And I knew even then, it was like, this is where I want to be. This is yeah. where I really want to be. And uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't be more excited to be joining him, and I feel so included. And uh, for me. Um, you know, playing a crab was really just a matter of, uh, you know, getting into the physicality of it a little bit, watching watching the tune, of course. I even went so far as to watch a bunch of crabs on video. Uh, you know. YouTube, C-R-A-B-S. No. <laughs> so I watched a lot of videos to just try to get a sense of, like, how they move. A lot of sideways, a lot of sideways and back. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, trying to incorporate that as best I can. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm going to go around the table, and I want to know what you guys want people to walk out of the theater with after seeing SpongeBob. Lily? Oof. I want the audience to walk out feeling joy and optimism and a kindred connection to other audience members and the people outside of the theater. I love that. Tina? Well, yes, of course, the same. Um, no, joy was the first word that came to my mind. But yeah. I'd say aliveness, um, a sense of having been at a live event where something actually occurred, and therefore um, a sense of the preciousness of the time we have together on this planet mm. and um, of every day and every moment. Ethan? Yeah, I, I would like audiences to leave um, feeling like they've 
added to the joy and the love in their life and had the most fun night ever. We need a fun night, most fun night ever right now, don't you think? I think it's, it's, do you feel like it's timely to, to bring the show to Broadway now? Absolutely, absolutely. And that was what I was going to say is uh, I want people to leave with a feeling of joy and a renewed sense in an embraceive community. Yeah. Patrick. You know that feeling after just a really great party, that kind of euphoria? I want that. And then a connection as well uh, to community, feeling as if you are a part of the community. You are, you belong. That's what I want people to go away with. What do you want people to walk away with? Man, everyone has said such great stuff. You know what I would say? Remember that old ad for MTV where the guy is sitting in a chair and he's watching the TV and his hair is blowing back and it's yeah. like, this is, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the Maxwell commercial. Yeah, Maxwell yeah, commercial. Yeah, That's what yeah. it is. That's what I want the audience to feel like when they walk out. Like, what did I just go through? That was awesome. My hair is standing on end and I just had the best night ever. I think that's what we deliver. That's yeah. what we're trying to deliver. I want to thank the cast and creatives of SpongeBob SquarePants. Get ye to Bikini Bottom post-haste. You're going to love it. Thank you guys for being with us. Make sure you don't miss a single episode and subscribe to us on iTunes. And now you can listen to Playbill Presents the Broadway cast on Spotify. And while you're at it, follow us on all social media platforms at the Broadway cast. (laughs) 